You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. I'm recording now. So I'm with Jamie Middle. So today we're going to talk about the imposter syndrome. But first, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Jamie Meadows. I got my PhD back in 2015 from the University of Vermont. I was in the microbiology molecular genetics program. I got my PhD work in bacterial physiology. So it was researching how bacteria sense host compounds and then how it can utilize those host compounds to its benefit, whether it's for growth, pathogenesis, you know, forming a biofilm, a niche, and being able to sustain living in a, in a host. Currently, I am a AAAS fellow. So I'm a, it's for the American Association for the Advancement of Science. It's a science technology policy fellowship. It's here in Washington, D.C. It's where I am now. And I am hosted by the Department of Energy in the Bioenergy Technologies Office. Can you tell us a bit about how science started? Like, how did you become interested in science? And were there any early influence in your life? Sure. So I think for me, I was always that kid who was interested in figuring things out. I loved watching, you know, documentaries or, you know, PBS that had anything science related, whether it was like human anatomy, animals, physics, you know, any of that kind of stuff, you know, not to age myself, but I would even watch uh, like Bill Nye, the science guy. (laughs) <laughs> like on like weekends. <laughs> so I was, I was always interested in science and always asking questions and thinking how things work and how, and how you could solve problems and, and figure things out. How was school for you? What kind of student were you when you were in school? So high school was easy in the sense that I didn't really have to study hard. I think the hardest courses for me were like history. Um, I'm not a history buff. Looking back on it, I wish I had actually studied more and learned about history because quite important. But for the most part, it was pretty easy. I was involved in a lot of things. I took pretty much every science course my high school had to offer. And I went to a small high school. So there weren't too many, but I definitely took, you know, chemistries and the biologies, physics, environmental science, integrated science. So I took all of that. And then for college, so I did my undergrad at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And while I was there, I went in as a biology major. And within the first semester, the professor for Bio 100 was actually the dean of the microbiology department. So he was talking to us about this microbiology department. And I was like, oh, that was, sounds really cool. I did like a microbiology section in my advanced bio class in high school. And I did really well. And we like would streak bacteria, gram stain them, look under the microscope, nice. do like streak slants and stuff. And it just became, it was, it was easy to me. So when he was talking about the micro department, I was like, one, I didn't know it existed. Yeah. clearly did not do my due diligence in terms of what UMass had to offer, but it was all right. I liked biology. But once he told me about that, I was like, oh, so then I looked into it more and it didn't have a foreign language requirement. And that was like, ding. So I was like, all right, I'm going to switch to microbiology. It's cool stuff. No yeah. foreign language, more specific as opposed to just biology. And I always knew I wanted to continue my education, whether it was, you know, grad school or, you know, med school, something. Um, oh, really? Do you have any member in your family already that has a grad school degree? I have half siblings mm-hmm. and the oldest of my half siblings, she is a neuropsychologist. So he, she has her PhD. Okay. So that was 
pretty much the only person I was exposed to who had a PhD. And there were no like MDs in my family or any sort of other doctorates in the family. Yeah, like I always knew I wanted to further my education. And it became even more apparent like when I was in undergrad, I was doing lab research in one of the labs in Dr. Stephen Sandler's lab. You know, I was like the only undergrad with a bunch of grad students. And then you kind of start to, you know, see what they do and what life is like. And yeah. you start to hear more about, you know, you can, you can get jobs with bachelor's of science and it's great. And depending on what you want to do, that's, that's all you need. But typically speaking in the, the biologies, if you want to advance to a certain level and be able to run a lab or do certain things, you typically need a PhD. Yeah. So, so that's why I kind of was like, all right, I'll have to go back to school at some point. Did you go straight from college to grad school or did you have sometimes internship or something like that? Yeah. So I took four years off, Oh wow. which was, which was a bit longer than <laughs> I would recommend to anybody. It wasn't horrible, but during my senior year, when I was doing lab research, I really liked it. But when it came time to like thinking about, about grad school, I just was not there yet mentally. I was like, I'm not ready to study for the GREs. I'm just not ready. So I was like, all right, I'll get a job. And so I got a job working for a startup company outside of Boston in Bedford, Mass called Genomic Profiling Systems. It's now called Rapid Microbiosystems. And I was able to get that job because one of the scientists at Genomic Profiling Systems, he did his PhD at UMass. So he knew my advisor and she put my name in and I applied. And I got the job, which was great. And I had told them that, you know, I wanted to go back to school at some point. So they know that, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of expect that. I think sometimes from certain people, depending on what you want to do, that, you know, you'll need to leave and continue your education. So I was working for four years. It was a startup company, which was great. It was like completely different than academia and kind of like what you just think of when you think of lab science. Because it was a startup, you do a lot of different things which was really good. It gave me a lot of different exposure to different areas within biotech and pharma that you can do and could do. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like you're not, you don't have to be just a bench scientist. If you want to, great. There's plenty of that out there, but there's a lot of different avenues you can go down. So I ended up working in R&D first, and then I went to technical services after two years. The company, we were building a product called GrowthDirect, which is basically a big instrument that enumerates buyer burden but it's automated and it's non-destructive. So I'd work with engineers, software engineers. And then once I went to the technical services side of things, I worked more with customers and running their samples, working with them on, can we process their samples on our system? How can we get them to work? I give you a lot of exposure for the entire field. Could see a final product from like A to Z. Yeah, like I was at the company and it was, a, it was an awesome company to work for. And I had some great supervisors. In fact, my first supervisor is Dr. Julie Schwedock, who I just totally admire. She is so smart. She just kicks butt. (laughs) And she's just like a really good person too. When I was there, it was a great company to work for. You get a lot of different exposure. But at the same time, because it is a startup and it's a small company, there's no real room for advancement because where are you going to move up to? Yeah. It's it's too small. They don't have those positions or there's people already in them. And they have since grown and that's great. But I was like, all right, if I want to advance in my career, I need to go to grad school. I need to go back. So I took my GREs finally and applied, (laughs) you know, had some interviews and then chose to go to the University of Vermont. Why you thought that the subject you studied in grad school was important to you before you started working on your thesis? Honestly, looking back on it, I think I've always liked microbiology. I didn't necessarily know how it was going to fit into my life or what you end up doing with it. But I kind of was always one of those people who thought like bacteria are more than just what we think, or at least what we thought of at that time. Like a Mm -hmm. lot has changed in like the past 15, 20 years in terms of bacteriology and 
realizing that these microbes play a lot more significant role in our health in terms of disease and even also just like symbiotic relationships in our now what's coined as what the microbiome right mm-hmm. so yeah that wasn't a thing like before I went to grad school it was like just starting to well, like come up so I actually wrote my essay on Marshall and Warren who are two PhD microbiologists who discovered that Heliocobacter pylori is what causes ulcers, right? Oh. It's not just stress. And so I had written that, you know, being like, you know, I think there's a lot more diseases out there that are actually microbiology based and bacterial based. Yeah. Um, and we, do, we just don't understand yet. So that's kind of what like going in, I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to do this. And then of course it has nothing to do with what you end up doing, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> Everyone has like these notions of like, you know, the, the grand like grandiose ideas of what you could do. And and then you start to do it and you realize it's a lot more tedious and small step process. <laughs> yes. Yes. The scope is so narrow than what you yeah, actually find out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so my grad work did not do with anything like that, really. I guess you could kind of spin it as that it did. But yeah, I joined Dr. Matt Wargo's lab doing bacterial physiology. So there was only, I think, two bacteria labs at UVM at the time. He was one of them and he was a new professor. His first year of being an assistant professor was my first year of grad school, which is a whole thing, I guess, for when students are thinking about PIs in terms of where their PI is in their career. You know, he was a young PI, which I liked and I think it worked out great. Mm-hmm. And also he's just so smart and just a, he's, he's one of those, like, he has like a photographic memory. So sometimes you can't win in terms of like, <laughs> he'll be like, he'll be like, Oh, don't you know this paper who written by so-and-so? And you're like, no, but you do. Okay. <laughs> but you know, so the work obviously is much smaller scale, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're working on one bacterial species, or at least I did. It was Pseudomonas originosa. And I pretty much figured out how the pseudomonas transported, metabolized, and regulated a small set of compounds called acylcarnitines. And carnitine is how eukaryotes shuttle fatty acids into the mitochondria for beta oxidation. So I looked at like, well, how can the bacteria use these compounds to its advantage? I'm not curing anything. (laughs) (laughs) What type of people did you imagine do the type of work you wanted to do? Like, did you have any preset idea of that? Or because you went to industry before, maybe you were completely aware? I think between the undergrad research and working, you get exposed to a lot of different types of scientists. So like going into grad school, um, I had an idea of what types of professors there could be. Obviously, when you're there, you learn a lot more in Mm -hmm. terms of how different people run their labs. Because when you're at the university, all those different professors, they're running their own labs. Whereas when you're working for a company, it's, it's not like that, right? Like we're all working at one company towards one goal. It's not as small and individualized. Yeah. You know, it's, it goes from every stereotypical scientist, right? You have the really smart I could think of one employee or one um, colleague I used to work with he was really smart socially awkward but like really smart right <laughs> and that's like like a stereotype that people think of when they think of scientists yeah right? it's true. That like yeah. yeah you know his glasses and he's running around in his lab jacket and he's really smart but when he comes to interacting with you sometimes he can't spit out what he what he wants to say to then completely to the other side where you know people are really smart and they're just like any other person, 
Like yeah. you wouldn't like you wouldn't pick them out of a crowd being like, oh, they must be a scientist. Yeah. Now we're gonna talk more about the imposter syndrome and how mm-hmm. your imposter syndrome looks like when you were doing your research for your thesis uh, as a grad student. Did you ever feel like an imposter? Can you tell us if you had any external factors that was triggering this feeling? Absolutely. I felt like that. And I honestly kind of feel like most grad students, if not all, probably feel that way at one point or another. And the ones who don't, I think I'd kind of be like, hmm. (laughs) I think anyone realizes, you know, they were accepted into this program. Clearly the professors who accepted them thought that they could succeed. Um, obviously, there's cases where, you know, certain students don't. But generally speaking, if you put the effort in and you put the time and you're relentless and you're a little bit crazy, like you will get through grad school and, you know, you you, you do the hard work, you you will succeed. I think for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, but especially me, the, how I felt was that you get accepted into this program and then you start, you know, rotating in labs, doing the research, taking classes, teaching. It's just a lot. And you kind yeah. of question, were they were they right? Like, am I smart enough to do this? I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this. And I definitely, by the end of first semester, was crying on the phone to my mom <laughs> saying, I don't want to go back. This is It was just so stressful because it was yeah. a lot all at once. And she was great. She was just like, okay, well, you know, you can always come home. After Christmas, I was like, all right, I'm going back to Vermont. And she was like, okay. And I just went back and second semester was... A little easier, right? Because you already were settled, you knew people, you started to have a better idea of the university and the class load and what professors expected. And you start to realize that you are capable of doing it and you kind of get through it. It's just going to be a lot of work. And as long as you have people in your life who you can talk to about it, you'll get through it. And you need those friends who are in the program, but you also need friends outside of the program. So your life just isn't 100% completely talking about, you know, science or classes or professors or whatever's going on at the university. And I think that's kind of what got me through. But I think throughout my life, I have definitely felt imposter syndrome, where you just kind of question your, your capabilities. And I think most people feel that way. That's why I'm kind of like, surprised if someone didn't ever feel that way, just because there are so many smart people, right? Like, and hopefully, you're not the smartest in the room, right? Like, Ideally, you want to be around people who are smarter than you and the people who push you and, you know, force you to grow and think differently. And if maybe you are the smartest person in the room, but, you know, at some point you'll end up in a different room and and you won't be. I like this Um, idea of like thinking it's a good thing to not be the smartest because you get pushed by the smartest. I like that a lot. I mean, sometimes it's kind of a a gut-wrenching feeling because you're like, oh, crap, I don't know X, Y, and Z. I should, but then that just, you know, then you go home and you look it up or you look it up later and then, you know, you try to educate yourself and learn more. I think there's just always times where you're in situations where you kind of feel like, wait, I'm supposed to be the expert. Okay, here we go. (laughs) And it it turns out you are and you know more than you think. But during that first initial time, you you kind of freak out where you're like, oh, I am. Okay, I got this. And I think that's where like the imposter syndrome comes in place is where you're you're just not sure but this imposter syndrome ever disabled you to completing a task or doing your research or going out there and push yourself no i never got to a point where i gave up i definitely would get to points and it could just very well be how how i handle stress right because everyone handles it differently but if i'm ever in those situations i kind of have like a little freak out in my brain um (laughs) 
sometimes a big one. I'll freak out. I'll stress out about it thinking, how am I in this situation? Oh, crap. I am in this situation. Clearly, I'm here for a reason. You got this. And then I kind of just push through it and kind of like almost like pep talk yourself up and be like, <laughs> like, yeah, you got this. And, and sometimes, you know, you get really stressed and and then you cry and then you move on. Right. And yeah. you're good to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At least that's how it happens to me. <laughs> and then I pick myself back up and I'm like, you got this. Uh, and there you go. And, yeah. you, and you do it. But it's never stopped me. It's definitely made me feel paralyzed and crippled at a certain point. Luckily for me, it's never been too long of a period. Yeah, I've always been able to push through it. And I think it's also for me, how I deal with that is just realizing it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. And then after accepting that you feel that way, knowing that you are capable, you know, whether it's X, Y, and Z, why you're mm-hmm. there. And then I, and then I kind of push through it. And, yeah. and then I don't feel so lost in the sense of like, well, why am I here? Or why did they pick me type deal? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's your thoughts. Mostly doing your imposter syndrome, like, why am I here? Like, did I do a mistake? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I kind of, you fooled everyone, right? Like, <laughs> that you shouldn't be there or that you were, I guess, a good talker during the interview. And they're like, yeah, you can do it. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, shit, I have to do this now. But really, you know, you weren't lying. You can do it. You weren't embellishing and you're capable. And I am supposed to be here or I am supposed to be doing whatever task I was assigned to. You mentioned that you talked to your mom the first semester. Did you talk to your PI, to your professor when you were in grad school or to other colleagues as well whenever it was studying or it was always your mom (laughs) that was like there for you like go girl? (laughs) That one time it was definitely my mom and she's always been like my biggest cheerleader and that was just because I was like I'm coming home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like crying, right? No, but she, she's always had my back. When it came to talking about it to like other people in my field, I never talked to my PI about it. There were definitely times like later on that we would joke about it, like me and a couple other grad students to my PI. And then it would kind of clue him in on how maybe we were thinking throughout grad school. But I never went into his office and was like, Hey, I'm not sure I can do this, or I don't understand. Mm -hmm. If anything, it was more talking to my, my colleagues, right? So my, my grad student friends pretty much all feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So like, you're not alone, right? There are people who feel the exact same way you do. And they just kind of like talk you out of it and talk you up, right? And be like, you know, make you feel confident and remind you of why you are there and what you're capable of and vice versa, right? Like you do that for your friends too, right? Like you have each other's backs. And one of my lab mates, Annette would always joke around and call us trench mates, you know, that, that we're all trench mates, right? We're all in this like hole of grad school that at times can be very daunting, right? Long hours, lots of projects, talks, qualifyings, like whatever else is going on in grad school. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work and you're kind of in the trench, right? Because you're dealing with all this stuff and you're not getting paid well. <laughs> and which we anyone who's gone to grad school knows and you're putting all this work in knowing it's gonna hopefully that it pays off later and it does but you're but you're all in it together right yeah and so I think more importantly it was my friends and my lab mates who got me through those times and and vice versa and what about today do you still have your imposter syndrome once in a while I still get it I think it's healthy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, t- I tell myself that I don't know I kind of feel that no matter where I go in my career as I keep stepping up and doing different things um, so currently being a fellow it's a little 
different in terms of the imposter syndrome or how I feel about it because it's not lab based, mm-hmm. right? So I'm working in a government office with people who've been doing it for a long time, and it's just very different than academia. So the problem I have now is like I know my background is strong and can help the office. But if anything, it's more of the like, am I capable of writing these reports or having these interactions with people and speaking their language? Because it's very different. Yeah. Um, Like how you talk to your lab mates or how you talk to your PI is very different than how you would talk to like a director or the program manager just because it's, it's, it's a different field, right? So it's a lot more, I think, finessing of words as opposed to like in science where you're kind of just like, no, this is the way it is blah, here it is. Mm -hmm. This is what I think. You're right, you're wrong, whatever, right? Whereas what I'm doing now, it's a little different in that sense. And so I think that's where I kind of feel it. Am I capable of making this shift? I am. I'm doing it. I'm learning a lot, which is great. But I would think that even as I continue in my career, I imagine I will feel that way throughout. Where as I keep moving up, which is my goal in life, so as I keep moving up into different positions, oh crap, I'm in this position. <laughs> I got there. Okay, now let me do it. Can I really do it? So yeah, and so you, you feel you can handle it now. Yeah, yeah. I don't cry nearly as much as I used to. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. I'm doing much, much better. <laughs> do you have any take-home message about this entire imposter syndrome? I guess you kind of phrase it pretty well. Like as long as you push yourself and you keep going up, you're still going to have to deal with it. Yeah, because I think we get comfortable in our current positions. And when you're comfortable, right? Like you're great at your work, you do a good job. And it's not until you take that next step up that, you know, you're getting out of your comfort zone and you, you, you have that feeling again, right? Like once you're in a position and you've been there for a while, you definitely don't feel like an imposter, right? Because that's your jam. You know what you're doing. Like you got it down. It's when you go to the next job or the next position, you know, a different company or a different field completely that I think people, or at least I feel that way. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's healthy. I think it kind of keeps you in check with reality a bit. Some people probably never feel that way and that's fine, right? Like good for them. But I think a lot of people do. And I think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Well, bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening The Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Next week, Megan interviews professor and imposter syndrome advocate, Timothy Piozo. Stay tuned.